All right, Doc. So, well, man, so good to see you guys today. It's great to be together. Uh, man, today's an exciting day, not just because we're, we're gathering, but as you heard, we, we have baptisms. And, and man, I, it's one of my favorite times of, of the year that we do this. And, and I don't know, maybe if you're anything like me, that sometimes you can, you can kind of survey our, our city, our country, the world that we live in. You, you look at your life, your family, all this stuff, and, and it's so easy to, to kind of see all the junk that's going on and, and wonder, where is God in this? Is, is God doing anything? That We read the Bible and we kind of see God doing these crazy things and then we look at our lives and say, okay, is he even here? Is he doing something? Guys, I want you to know that, that baptism is a reminder that God is always here. He's always up to something and he's always doing something. And we're gonna see this as we, as we watch these people get baptized today. And I hope you can join us for that. It's gonna be an awesome time for just encouragement and celebration. But, uh, but today we're getting into the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible and, and you're kind of joining the, the Doxa family, let me just at, uh, tell you that you can grab one as our gift uh, to you at the welcome table on your way out. This is kind of one of the things that we do as the, as the family of Doxas. As every time that we gather together, we, we gather around the Bible. We open it up and, and we see what God has to say to us. And we wrestle with this. We ask questions and, and we go to work with it here and then in connection groups all throughout the week. And so we want you to feel welcome and part of what we're doing. So you can grab a Bible on, you, on your way out. But today we're, we're starting a, a new teaching series that's going to take us the better part of a year. All right, as we, we begin to journey through this gospel account of, of Luke, and we're going to unpack what this man Jesus and what the gospel means for us here, specifically in Madison. Now, here's the thing. You know, when we turn and consider a book of the Bible like this, and we find ourselves at the, the starting place, it's always a good idea to start with a question. And we need to ask the question, okay, why are we doing this? And guys, I want you to know that, that we have to ask questions when we come to the Bible. Questions are, are good. And I know that some of you, you maybe come from a church background where, where you're not encouraged to ask questions and you're just, you're told what you need to do and you don't ask questions and you just do it. And that might be where you come from. That's not what we do here. We love questions. We ask hard questions. We press all because we want to see what God is actually saying to us. What does this actually mean? for us, how do we live out and be the people that God has created us to be? And so we ask these questions, and we're asking this question today, is why are we doing this? Like, why are we here in the Bible? And, and to that, I'll, I'll say this. Guys, God has, has given us four gospels, all right? In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he really hasn't given us four of anything else in the Bible. All right, that you can look to the Old Testament and maybe Kings and Chronicles are probably the most closest parallel that we have as they look at the same time period in, in Old Testament history. But when we come to the New Testament, we don't have anything of which there are four. And we can consider when we look at the New Testament that there's two letters to the Corinthians and, and two letters to, to Timothy. And arithmetically, this is four, but they're not four ways of looking at the same thing. They're not four ways of talking about the same person. But God has, has seen fit to give us four gospels, all of which tell us essentially the same story about the same person. And as God has done this, guys, I think it should tell us something. That it, it tells us that as Christians, Jesus is the center of our faith and he's the center of our lives. And even though we do a lot of things in the life of this church that we call and label ministry, the fact that there are four gospels, it tells us that Jesus has to be at the center of all that we do and all that we are. Guys, that everything is always about Jesus. It always comes back to him. This is where we start. This is where we finish. It's always about Jesus. And so as we continue to lay the foundation of our young church, it seemed right to, to just do a lengthy, in-depth consideration of the gospel of Jesus. So that, and the goal is that we can have our eyes constantly fixed on him. 
Okay, so the natural other question that we have to ask is, is why Luke's gospel? Why not Matthew or Mark or John? And to answer that, I'll, I'll give you one reason with, with really two components. The reason is, is I really believe that the gospel of Luke is extremely relevant to our time and place here in Madison, specifically in, in two ways, okay? Both academically and socially. Because if you consider the, the great city that we live in, we live in a city that, that houses probably one of the most prestigious higher educational institutions in our country. And so academia in our city is, is a really important, significant thing. And if you're anything like me, this can kind of be intimidating. I'm not an academic, okay? So we set up for, for Salt Company all the time on Thursday nights, and I'm hanging around Salt Company students and talking to them and getting to know them. And, and just this last week, they, someone said like a sentence with like four words that I had no idea what they meant. <laughs> Right? And they're like, yeah. and I was just like, totally, bummer. And they just looked at me and like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, right? But, but we live in an academic city. Now, what's interesting about our city, too, is we simultaneously live in a city that is very concerned with social issues, all right? That we, we care about the inclusion and care of all types of people. And guys, what I, I'm telling you all this to say this is that I want you to know this is, in the most basic sense, Luke's approach to his gospel, all right, that he approaches this from an academic historical perspective. All right, that Luke is a, is a physician, he's a historian, and he provides us with a history of antiquity that has stood the test of time. And it's regarded, this, this book that we're going to go through over the next year, it's regarded and respected as one of the great works of historical history. But in addition to that, Luke's, Luke approaches this socially by asserting that, that the historical person of Jesus is actually good news for all people. That's what we've titled this, this series. All right, so in the top of your Bible on the page that says the Gospel of Luke, I want you to write really big, good news for all people. This will help you to realize and remember what the Gospel of Luke is all about. All right, because the inclusion and the care of all types of people is a really big deal for Luke because it's actually a really big deal for God. And this is what Jesus, we're going to see him throughout his ministry through the Gospel of Luke, is going to be screaming at us, just showing it with the way that he lived his life. And we're going to look at all of this more in just a few minutes. But guys, Luke's gospel is simply just the Jesus story. And when we consider Jesus, I want you to know that we're, we're talking about the most significant person who has ever lived in the history of our world. And, and I know that maybe you, you feel the need to, to recoil and, and kind of fire back and, and debate that. But before you do that, okay, I want you to consider this, okay? Think about it. Human history literally divides at Jesus' birth into B.C., meaning before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, meaning the year of our Lord. That our recording of human history literally is around the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we talk about Jesus, you may have heard this being said before, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about a, a man that more songs have been sung about, more paintings painted of, and more books written regarding than anybody who has ever lived in the history of our world. That even today, like right now, billions of people around the world are gathering like we are right here, and they're singing songs about Jesus. They're praying to Jesus. They're teaching about Jesus. They're opening up their Bible, which points us to Jesus. And, and we have to ask the question, why? Why is this happening? And guys, there's something about this man, Jesus, that has flipped the world on end in such a way that all of this has happened and crazy things continue to happen. And the church is expanding. Guys, and this is why we're here, to examine this man, Jesus, and to figure out what he means, even if he does mean something for us here 
in Madison. Now, I just made some pretty dramatic claims about the significance and the importance of Jesus, and maybe you're thinking, okay, here comes the pastoral hyperbole. He's got to say all this stuff and be super dramatic to get us all emotionally bought in, and he's got to do that. I, here's what I want to do. I don't want you to hear my words right now, okay? I'm, and before I even open up the Bible and share the words of, of the Bible, I want you to hear the words of, of people throughout the history of our world regarding the man Jesus, and as we look at some of these, these quotes from these people, we're going to see kind of a, a unified voice and a common thread about all the different, from all these different types of people regarding Jesus and what I just said. Okay, take a look at this. It'll be up here on the screen. All right, Stephen Neal, who's a theologian and a historian, he said this, whoever says Jesus says history. And he's pointing at this, this idea that, that human history, everything that we know, seems to revolve around Jesus. But if you're listening carefully, you just heard me say that he's a theologian, okay? So you're thinking, okay, he's a Christian. He's got a Christian worldview. Of course he's going to say this. Everything revolves around Jesus for a Christian. Okay, now, I want you to consider this. H.G. Wells, take a look at this, who's a well-respected, non-Christian historian. If you've, if you've studied history at the university level or any type of history, really, in any schooling, you've probably referenced H.G. Wells or read his, his works. This is what he says. He says, I'm a historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this pendulous preacher from Nazareth is e irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most important figure in all of history. Now, in addition to this, interesting enough, if you've ever been to Rockefeller Center in, in New York City, there's an inscription above the entryway that says this, man's ultimate destiny depends not on whether he can learn new lessons or make new discoveries and conquests, but on the acceptance of the lesson taught him close upon 2,000 years ago. That in, our, in one of the greatest, biggest cities, most influential cultural hubs in our country and in our world, stands an inscription about Jesus' words and works that are referencing who Jesus was and all that he taught. It's, it's a really interesting thing. Napoleon Bonaparte, I don't know if you remember him, like the angry little short Frenchman, that tried to take over the world? I don't know if he's that tall. Maybe this tall, right? I, regardless, he's tiny but feisty. This is what he said, okay? He says, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? It was upon force. Jesus Christ founded his everlasting empire upon love. Because even the, the great communist dictator and revolutionary in Cuba, who didn't believe and follow Jesus at all, Fidel Castro, he said this. He says, I have always considered Christ to be the greatest revolutionary and warrior in the history of the world. Guys, this is Jesus, the most significant man who has ever lived. And I want you to know as we start this, this study and this journey that Jesus isn't just the center of Christian history but he's the very center of human history. And what this all means for us is that, guys, we would be wise to consider this man, looking at his words, his works, and his ways, because if he actually is who he said he was, this literally changes everything for every single one of us, and it demands, guys, it demands a shift in our perspective of our lives, of eternity, of literally everything. I was reminded of this, this fact this week. I got my hair cut. Look good? Okay, well... Made to make me feel insecure. Appreciate that, guys. <laughs> but I, I was getting my hair cut, and, and the guy that I was talking to, it's always the awkward question, so what do you do? Oh, gosh, okay, I'm a pastor, right? But he was talking, and, and he was like, oh, okay. 
he's like, I, I've heard of Jesus and, and I know the gospel. And, and we started talking and, and as, he, as we were talking, he was just like, I just need to know though if that is all true. Because, and he went on to say, because he's like, I see the radical things that Jesus says and what it means to follow him. And there is no way that I'm going to do that unless this is emphatically true. And there's something about his perspective that is just so right. That if Jesus is who he says he is, it demands a shift. And guys, this is what we're going to consider as we start this journey today. All right, and today is, is going to be a, a little bit more informational than, than a regular sermon because we're starting at the beginning, and we really need to do some preliminary work to really understand where we're going. But Luke, as an author, guys, is the, is the largest contributor to the, to the New, New Testament, okay? That he's written a two-volume set. It's the Gospel of Luke and in the Book of Acts, all right? And, and Luke and Acts is all about God's plan for his created world. In this gospel account, it explains who Jesus was, what he did, why he came, and how he prepared his disciples to carry on his ministry and how he prepared them to live after he died. And this is how he introduces his gospel. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to start. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, as we consider this gospel, specifically, we're just going to look at this introduction that I just read. I want you to know that from the onset of, of this gospel, what we just read is considered to be one of the finest and most technical writings in antiquity. All right, that, that Luke, who was a physician and a really educated man, he uses the highest, most sophisticated Greek in the entire Bible to introduce his gospel. And that might not seem like overly significant as, as you hear that, but what he's doing here, guys, is he's using this language and he's using this technical writing to demonstrate his skill and his credentials as an academic and a historian. All right, he's saying, this is my credentials, that I'm not just... He's like, I'm not just Bubba from Kentucky, this backwoods boy that's like, I just want to tell you about Jesus, and I just, I don't know why I'm talking about that, right? But if you're from the South, I love you. I wish I had that children draw. But he's not, he's not saying that. He's like, this is academic history. There's something significant that you need to know. And there's three things in this introduction that are going to be really helpful for us to know as we begin to study Luke's gospel. Luke's going to show us, first, the historical credibility of his account. Second, the people that his account impacts, and third, the overarching purpose of his gospel account. And this is how we're going to approach understanding this introduction and launch this series. So first, the historical credibility. Okay, look back to, to verses one through three. Luke says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke is introducing his gospel and he shares with us two things. Number one, he says that, that he's investigated the story and he's followed it really closely. That if you look at verse three, he says that he's followed all things closely for, for a really long time, and he's basically giving us his qualifications as a historian. That, guys, I want you to know that, that Luke is, is not necessarily writing solely out of a perspective of faith, but it's historical facts. That in so many ways, 
Luke's gospel becomes an apologetic, a defense of the faith by saying, here is what actually happened. And he's saying, I chased down all the details. He's saying, I put in the hard work. I did the painstaking effort of recording absolute history. If you've ever studied history, you, you've undoubtedly heard of a guy named Sir William Ramsey. He was a, a famous scholar of, of world history who is, who is known and respected all around the world as a historian. But Ramsey, he, he, he doubted and really rejected the historicity of Luke and Acts. And so what he did is he sought out to kind of like prove Luke wrong. And he said, okay, I'm just going to go through this, and I'm going to do my own study. I'm going to give my life to this, and I'm going to study the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, and I'm going to show you that this is not really real history. And what he came to was a conclusion that's saying this. He said, Luke's history is unsurpassed in regards to its trustworthiness. He used names of officials and very specific details and people as he searched it out, and it's emphatically true and reliable. Because in... I want you to know this, that as we get into this gospel, it's not just story time, like docs of kids and we're reading a storybook, right? This is like real, true, historical facts. It's good history. It's accurate. Number two, Luke says that he was thorough and he studied everything. All right, look back to verses one and two. He says that he, he went back to the beginning of the story and he researched all that was accomplished. And as he did this, guys, he, he did two things, okay? He considered written tradition and oral tradition. And we don't really understand oral tradition because it, for us in, in our day and age, everything, if it's not on paper, it doesn't really exist, all right? But in ancient days, they didn't necessarily view it like that. They had an oral tradition that they passed history down through stories and people telling it. And they, and they had like a methodology of how they would train people to do this. And so what Luke is saying is he's saying, I've gathered up all of the written material about what has been accomplished and all these things surrounding this man, Jesus, and his life and his ministry and his death. But I've also done the painstaking work of going and finding all of the, the eyewitnesses, and I've talked to them, just like a good historian or a reporter would do. And He's gathered up all of these, these documents and all of this stuff that he reported on and just gathered it and orderly gave it to us. This is what he's saying, that he brought about the written tradition and the oral tradition, and he's putting it forward and saying, here is historical fact. And I want you to know that Luke is just from the onset, he's saying that all of this is based on solid historiography. It's good history. And so Luke he doesn't base his credibility of his gospel in religious inspiration, but in the pre presentation of a, of a history that we can withstand scrutiny, that it stood the test of time. And this account is, is so credible, and it's good for us to consider. Now, I'll pause there, because as I was studying this, this made me pause, and I think there's something here for us to consider, okay? that Luke most definitely has, has credibility, right? Historical credibility as he writes this, and it's, he records good history and we should listen to him. Now for us, this makes me pause and, and ask like a, an introspective question. And we talked about this at my connection group last week, right? Of, of like, do I have credibility as I share the gospel? And, and people, we were talking about sharing the gospel in our lives, our, our mission statement, and we were at saying, what, what makes it hard to share the gospel in your life? And, and it came up that, man, people aren't going to believe what I say because it doesn't match how I live. That there's a lack of, of credibility. And while we're not going to write a gospel account 
all right, like this that's going to be sent all over the world, we need to be sensitive to the fact that that telling the gospel story means that we have to have credibility as well. And I want you to know that integrity is what produces credibility. And our credibility as Christians, the ones who carry the story of Jesus, comes when our message matches our lives. And we see this is the way that Jesus lived. That I really believe that part of the power of Jesus' life was his coherent mix of his words and his works that Jesus brought to his story. That everyone, as as they heard Jesus and they watched him, Right? They didn't accept his message, but they all looked at him and recognized that something was different and there was nothing that discredited his message. He had credibility. And I think there's something for us to consider when we think about our lives. Is our life saying the right thing about God and his gospel? You need to ask that. Just about a month ago, Lisa and I met, met a lady who had a couple kids and she's, she's an awesome lady and Lisa's be, becoming friends with her, and, and she was, was texting her one night, and, and she wanted her to invite her to come to church with her, and, and yeah, just invite her to come, and, and the lady responded late one night, and she's like, hey, I really don't have any interest in, in coming to your church, and that's just not my thing, and I hope that doesn't offend you or anything like that, but I'm not going to come, and then she sent it. And it was kind of a discouraging text message, right? Especially as you start like a new church, you're like, okay, wow, one of the first people that I invite does not want to come. <laughs> this is not going to go super well. But then right after that text, it was followed up by, hey, but there's something about you that I'm drawn to, and I really want to hang out with you because I think you can be one of my best friends, and I really kind of like, would like to spend time with you. And as I heard that, she was kind of discouraged, and I was just like, babe, that is awesome. That is the way that it should be because so many of us, we, we have our Christianity in a sense of like, I got to invite this person to church. And if they don't come to church, then oh, I'm on to the next person. It becomes like an assembly line and you're viewing people in a really whacked out way. I'm like, this girl doesn't want anything to do with church, but she wants something to do with you because she sees something in you. And it's not because you're great and you're awesome and you're super funny and all this stuff. It's because she sees Jesus in you. She just doesn't know it yet. And as she spends time with you, you're going to be able to say, okay, it's not me. And you're just going to be able to point to the glory of God. You're going to be able to point to Jesus. And that's what it's going to be all about. It's credibility that your life matches your message. And I think this is something that we should consider as we seek to bring the gospel message to Jesus or to, of Jesus to this city. Do we have credibility in our lives? Luke had credibility, not just as a disciple, but as a historian. It was historically credible. Now, the second thing that this introduction shows us is this, is the people whom this historical evidence impacts. All right? In verse three, if you look back, Luke says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I want you to circle Theophilus, okay? Because Luke is actually writing to a guy, and his name is Theophilus, and, and honestly, we don't know a ton about who Theophilus was uh, as a man. We do know that he is most likely a recent convert. He had just become a Christian, or he's kind of like on the edge and kind of really leaning in and in the process of, of becoming a Christian. But we also know that he was a Gentile, meaning he wasn't a Jew. And this is significant because Jews were God's chosen people, all right? And this movement of God that started with the Jewish people because of all that Jesus did and because of what Jesus said, this message has now spilled out into the entire world, world for all people. And the fact that Luke is writing to Theophilus 
Guys, this is showing us that this good news of the gospel is for everyone. And he's saying, even you, Theophilus, who is not a Jew and a chosen person of God, that this gospel message is for you. It is, guys, the doors have been opened up, and it's for everyone, for all people. And when Luke says he's writing in an orderly way, if you look at that, he doesn't mean that he's writing a chronology of of Jesus' life, but rather he's recording the most important historical aspects of his life, all the things that have been accomplished, and he's ordering it together to show us in the most concise way possible all we need to know about who Jesus was. And if there's one thing that we know as we, we know the gospel and we look through the gospels about what Jesus was about, guys, he was about people. All people. And Luke will be hammering this throughout his gospel. He's going to be hitting this idea of all people. For example, in Luke chapter 3, he's going to quote the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to say, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He's saying that all people will see the salvation of God. And this isn't a a universalist theology and shouldn't be understood that God's going to save every single person regardless of faith and rejection and all of that. But rather, what this means is that there, and I want you to hear this, guys. This is big for Luke. That there is no kind of person that the gospel cannot reach. And there is no boundary that the gospel cannot cross. It's for all people. And Luke is going to repeatedly say that while not everyone will be saved, anyone can be saved. That there is good news for all people. The gospel, guys, is for all. And and it's so interesting, okay? When you study the the original Greek used here in in Luke chapter 3 as he talks about all people, do you know what the Greek word all means? It means all, okay? It means all. Like, oftentimes we're like, what does the Greek mean? It means all, all people, okay? And this is what it is. All right, Luke is writing to say everybody. That guys, God loves all types of people. That this isn't just a Jewish thing, but he's gonna write throughout his letter as we get into this. He's gonna show us that this gospel is for Greeks and for Romans and Samaritans. That it's not just for males, but it's also for females. And it's not just for prominent females, but it's for widows and cripples and prostitutes. And this gospel isn't just for wealthy people, right? It's, it's, for, it's, for, it's not just for free men, it's for slaves. It's for the poor. It's for the outcasts of society. It's for the people that live on the margins of, of the society that are just disregarded and forgotten. It's for everybody. And Luke is going to show us all of these individuals in detail, He's going to show us how Jesus interacted with all of these people, prostitutes, poor people, these outcasts of society, and he's going to show us how Jesus loved him and loved them. Why? Because the gospel is good news for every type of person. And Luke wrote this gospel so that we would understand this, and he's working through the power of the Holy Spirit to change our perspective on the way that we see people. And this is big. Guys, that it's not just about you. It's not just about this room of people. It's about everybody. The people that don't look like you. The people that don't act like you. The people that don't care about the things that you care about. It's the people you walk by on State Street and you look at in disgust because they ask you for money. It's the people that you look at their lifestyle and you say, oh my gosh, they make me sick. It's for those people. And Jesus wants to change our hearts so we become more like him, that we begin to love the people that he loves, not just our church. And so Luke, he shows us the historical credibility, 
And he shows us the people that this impacts. And finally, he shows us the purpose of his gospel. Look at verse 4. That you may have certainty, circle certainty. You may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Because Luke's overarching purpose as he writes is a moral purpose. He's seeking to give a certainty of faith through historical facts. And this is Luke's driving force. He wants us to be certain of Jesus. And he's basically saying to us right now, as you go through this and you follow my account, he's saying you will know for certain that all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did is actually true. And it will change everything about your life. And we're going to see this as we journey through Luke. It's not mere history, but these concrete facts of history that Luke researched and recorded and gave to us, they help us to understand theology. They help us to understand what it all means for us. That the historical reality of Jesus' cross and Jesus' resurrection, which Luke is going to show us, takes historical facts and turns them into theological truth, which is good news for all people. Let me demonstrate this for you, all right? Have you ever considered why the historical account of the killing of an innocent man is such good news for people? I mean, really. I mean, there have been pictures of, of Jesus' murder, and we look at that and we're like, that's so good. Wh why? Right? I mean, why is this historical reality of Jesus being tortured and murdered, why is this good news? Because we re as we read the Bible, we see repeatedly that the murder and the crucifixion of Jesus is, in fact, good news. And when the Bible speaks of this truth, it uses this little word, for, to transfer into theological significance. And so what you see in the Bible is you have the historical fact, what actually happened, the little word for, and then the significance and what this means for us theologically. And this little word for has massive implications for every single one of us. And so I want you to listen to this. I'm going to start in Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. And I'm going to work through some of the testimony of people that knew him best. All right. And I'm going to kind of go fast. All right. So I want you to write down these verses that I'm going to ramble off. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. This little word for Isaiah 53, 5 says it this way, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 12. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors, you and me. Romans 4, 25. He was delivered over to death for our sin and was raised to life for our justification. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says that Christ died for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18 says Christ suffered for our sins once and for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. 1 John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for what? For our sin, and not only for ours, but also for the sin of the world, all people. Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Guys, here is why the historical account of the crucifixion of Jesus is good news. It's for you. It's for us all people. 
This is why Jesus entered into human history. That in his death on the cross, he became our mediator, meaning he took our place, he took our sin, and he brings us back to God through faith. That this is the gospel, this is the good news for all people. The great theologian, Martin Luther, called this the great exchange. That on the cross, Jesus takes all of our sin, the stuff that separates us from God. Every single one of us has things in our life, sin that separates us from God. On the cross, Jesus took all of that stuff and he gave us his righteousness, bringing us back to God. This great exchange, and we celebrate this. This is the good news. This is why it's the gospel. It's because it's not about what we do. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done and all that he's doing. It's the good news. And the great hope for me as we go through this gospel is this, is just as Luke researched and experienced and believed in the power of the gospel, I'm hoping and praying that we would experience the gospel story in such a way that we would never be the same. Never be the same. And so with that perspective, guys, it's not so much what will we do with the gospel as we learn it, but it's what will this gospel do to us as we learn it. And I'm convinced, guys, that this journey that we're about to start, that we're starting today, is gonna change all of our lives, which is ultimately gonna impact every single person around you in this city. And if you're here and, and you're a Christian, you need to hear this every single day. You need to hear this gospel. And I've said this before, we need to let the gospel just drip like an IV. You go to the hospital, they put an IV in your arm, and it just drips antibiotics. And soon enough, it just goes and courses through all of your veins and your entire body. This is what we need to do with the gospel. We get into God's word. This is why the Bible is so important. It's God speaking to us. We get into God's word, and every time you do that, it's like a drip. The gospel is dripping. Every single page, every single chapter, is about Jesus. It points us to Jesus and the good news that it's for you. It's for everybody and it just drips. And soon enough, the gospel is coursing through our entire body and it changes us from the inside out. And this is what Paul is getting at in Romans eight twenty nine when he says it's about being conformed to the image of Christ. That as the gospel gets in us, we become more like Jesus. And so I challenged you last week to read as the, the stark reality is that many Christians, and I'm not naive enough to think that in this room there's people that you've never read through or studied a gospel. What would it look like for you just to read a half a chapter a day and try and get through the gospel over the next six months to a year? Read and let it drip. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that, man, I'm so glad that you're here it is truly one of the highest honors in my entire life to teach you the Bible. But I want you to know that everything we're laying out is not the, the concepts of men. It's historical facts that point us to a theological reality. And it points us, guys, we all are in a place where we all need Jesus. I love that about the gospel. It's a flattener that we're all jacked up. We all need Jesus. And my prayer is that, man, you just come to him today. And just like the people that we're going to watch here in like an hour that are getting baptized, that today, I pray that, man, that you would begin to experience that, that new life that comes through faith in Jesus. Because that's why you're here. 
That's why we're all here, that God has brought us here to show us something of himself, to show us his glory, so that we can go out into this world and live for, like, and with him to bring the gospel to all people for the hope of restoration of all things. It's good news for all people. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and we're just going to talk about and sing the reality that this is good news, guys. This is why we celebrate. So pray with me. God, thank you for... I just thank you for Luke. I think about just, man, all the effort that he must have done to to compile a list of history that we could benefit, knowing for certain, Jesus, that you did everything that you said you did. And because that is true, this rooted in history, we know that, guys, that, that God, there's just like a, a theological significance and a weightiness that, that what you say about you being God, Jesus, and you bringing us to the Father, it's all true. And we just confess that, that we just need you. And even as me, God, I just, I just need to, to hear the gospel every single day that I'm so prone to, to wander away from your cross and just forget what you have done for me. And so I just ask, God, that as we sing these songs, that you would just remind us of the gospel, that our affections would be stirred and we'd be spurred on and pushed out of this place to pursue you more and to love the people of our city around us like you would, Jesus. And so just speak to us over this next year as we open up the Gospel of Luke and just change us. Mold us into the people in the church that you want us to be. I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why don't you guys go ahead and stand up.